lend me US $450? No, never. Okay, I guess I'll have to wait a little bit longer to buy these. 11 antique sterling silver corn on the cob holders, Lynn's Brothers, Dallas, Texas. What is it? it the things that you hold corn. Yeah, so they are, well, let's look at the eBay description because they're for sale, like these okay. are genuine things. 11 corn on the cob holders, each marked sterling. I cannot find a maker's mark. Each holder weighs 11 grams. There, there is a slight gold hint to the corn ear. Because they look like, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll describe what they look like. There's an ear of corn, uh, and then there's two like little pincers, and you stick them in your corn, and you eat your corn on the cob, but with a sterling silver thing from like the 1920s or something. I can from... see what you're doing, and the podcast is not going to become Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> um, and do, are they usually... do you have them insured? They... Well, I would have them insured <laughs> for $450 US. Does that surprise you? I should say it does. <laughs> Anyway, tonight's a corn episode. You'll learn about uh, all the different ways to eat corn and all of the uh, different ways to value antiques. Um, so the other week, Renee Redzepi's Mad Symposium was on in Sydney, um, which is the Future of Food conference that's usually held in Copenhagen. I didn't go, but I do follow a whole lot of people who went on Instagram. And the number one photo was a slide during Peter Gilmore's presentation, who is the... Um, executive chef of Key in Sydney and the photo that everybody was Instagramming was a photo of glass gem corn Mm. and I googled it because I wanted to know what this thing was that was so beautiful and glass gem corn is pretty much the most beautiful thing I've ever seen every kernel on the cob so there's probably like hundreds of kernels on the cob Mm. is a different color so there's blues greens Ah. pinks um I don't know brown red um, and they're all shiny and pearly like gems. So it actually looks like a corn cob made of glass gem. What does it taste like? Well, let me tell you the story about glass gem corn. <laughs> okay. um, an Oklahoma farmer began growing older corn varieties as a way to connect with his Cherokee heritage. And he exchanged corn seeds with people all over America and began selecting, saving and replanting seeds from particularly colourful cobs which over time resulted in rainbow corn. And so like when the rainbow corn mixed with the traditional varieties, it created new strains and each year of successive planting, the corn was more vibrant and had more colours in it. Um, Quick question without notice. Yeah. Rainbow corn, is that what they make the popcorn out of that you get at the supermarket that's rainbow coloured? Ruining everything. I'm coming to that. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So glass gem is known as flint corn. Okay which comes from the kernel's hard outer layer. That's called the flint, I think. Most people grind it up into cornmeal and use it in tortillas because it's very starchy. So does this produce coloured popcorn when popped? I hear you ask. That is what I'm asking. (laughs) Well, no. When it's popped, it looks like kind of like off-white like popcorn does, but then you can kind of see a kind of darker coloured corn bit in the middle but it's the popcorn isn't actually coloured but can you pop it because isn't popcorn like and, and we've got a corn expert coming in so we'll find out but isn't popcorn like a different strain of corn altogether than flint corn even um yeah but so you can I still mean, pop you can it. still pop any corn you I'm can pretty pop sure. any corn okay i'm pretty sure you can um right, anyway well that's something we'll ask a corn <laughs> expert 
Um, Peter Gilmore said he's asking a farm in New South Wales to grow glass gem corn as a trial crop this summer. Ah. So maybe we'll be eating magical rainbow corn soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not actually the best quality corn from what I've been researching. So maybe it'll be corn that's ground up into some kind of polenta thing. <laughs> Boo. Which will probably like ruin all the colours in it anyway. Okay. Well, at least it looks nice at the start, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. Good for Instagram. I feel like you've taken this very kind of high road to start with. I'm going to take the low road because um, I want to talk about – well, I, I want to take it back to the United States. I want to talk about the fact that corn is big in the United States. It's everywhere. There's 96 million acres or 39 million hectares of land reserved for corn production, and they produce 13.016 billion bushels per year in the United States. I got that from a very reputable website called Wikipedia, which means corn is cheap. um, And it means it's much cheaper than cane sugar to do things like sweet and soft drinks. And that's where we get high fructose corn syrup, Mm. which is cheap, readily available. And if a Princeton study is anything to go by, is killing us. So this is what in the United States, what they kind of flavor everything with. So, you know, soft drinks, Coca-Cola's, uh, flavored with high fructose corn syrup in the states, where, where here we'll use cane sugar because we have plentiful cane sugar. But this Princeton study says, in the forty years since the introduction of high fructose corn syrup as a cost-effective sweetener in the American diet, rates of obesity in the U.S. have skyrocketed, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 1970, around 15 percent of the U.S. population met the definition for obesity. Today, roughly one third of, the, of American adults are considered obese. High fructose corn syrup is found in a wide range of foods and beverages, including fruit juice, soda, cereal, bread, yogurt, ketchup, and mayonnaise. On average, Americans consume 60 pounds of the sweetener per person per year. So there's a lot of it being consumed. And this Princeton study is kind of looking at at what it's doing to us. So they did two studies, both on rats. Um, The first study showed that male rats given water sweetened with high fructose corn syrup in addition to a standard diet of rat chow gain i don't know what rat chow is sounds good yeah delicious uh i'm guessing it's not made of ground up rat but you know let's picture that for a minute uh gained much more weight than male rats that received water sweetened with table sugar or sucrose in conjunction with the standard diet so they put on way more weight if they were eating uh Uh, high fructose corn syrup than than just regular sugar. The concentration of sugar in the sucrose solution was the same as is found in some commercial soft drinks, while the high fructose corn syrup solution was half as concentrated as most sodas. So it was even like less less sugary than than the sucrose that they were given. And the second experiment, the first long-term study of the effects of high fructose corn syrup consumption on obesity in lab animals, monitored weight gain, body fat, and triglyceride levels in rats with access to high fructose corn syrup over a period of six months. Compared to animals eating only rat chow, rats on a diet rich in high fructose corn syrup showed characteristic signs of a dangerous condition known in humans as the metabolic syndrome, including abnormal weight gain, significant increases in circulating triglycerides and augmented fat deposition, especially visceral fat around the belly. So they got like beer bellies, these rats. 
Uh, male rats in particular ballooned in size. Animals with access to high fructose corn syrup gained 48% more weight than those eating a, for- a normal diet. So this, the, the um, Miriam Bacarsley, uh, Princeton graduate student, said, these rats aren't just getting fat, they're demonstrating characteristics of obesity, including substantial increases in abdominal fat and circulating triglycerides. In humans, these same characteristics are known risk factors for high blood pressure, coronary artery disease, cancer, and diabetes. So essentially, corn is killing us all. Hmm, I'm going to have to stop you there because um, <laughs> this isn't a health show and I don't want to turn people <laughs> off eating in any way. Well, no, I mean, you can eat corn, but like if you're drinking or eating foods like very, very high in, in high fructose corn syrup, you will be an obese rat. And you'll die soon. Everything in small doses. You can still have high fructose corn syrup. Of course. Um, every day. Yeah. <laughs> in a small dose. Okay. <laughs> you just, you keep doing that then, pal. <laughs> so instead of jumping straight into round two, we're joined by a very special guest who recently wrote a 2000 word essay about corn. So I feel like she's probably the most appropriate person to have on the show. Anna Webster is also a writer and editor with me at Broadsheet and also writes for other publications such as The Age and she was on MasterChef recently. So you know lots about corn. What's your favourite way to cook it? Look, I think that Beyond Popcorn at the cinema when it's coated in butter and salt because literally there's nothing that's not improved by copious amounts of butter and salt. Mm, Um, I think that, oh, actually, now that you ask me that, I'm like, but there's tacos and there's tamales and there's... (laughs) High fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> and deadly. you know, sweetened corn picked from the cob and, and cooked instantly and doused in butter and parmesan and queso fresco and chipotle and lime and all those things. And I don't really know. Is there a bad way to eat corn? Not well, n- None of those things that you just said then are bad ways to eat corn. Um, and so when you're barbecuing corn, I always wonder... Do you leave the like husk spit on the corn or do you take it off? You, if you don't, it depends what you kind of, what the end result you're going for is because if you don't, the husk is like, an, it's like, it's like foil. It's like na- na- nature's foil. You know, yeah. it's already in there. You can just throw it on as it is and it'll steam and cook itself within the husk. You know, yeah. if you're going to remove the husk, you can replace the husk with foil or you can just cook it like kind of on a griddle pan and let the caramelization come directly from, you know, the hot pan on the on the kernel. So it kind of really depends on the end result. I don't think there's a bad way to do it. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, charry, kind of smoky, caramelized, everything is always better. So, you know, get rid of the husk. Yeah. But, right. you know, you Good can do it in the husk if you want. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> Speaking of husks, today in the office you mentioned corn and sex. So please fill us in. Well, yeah, so corn has sex. That's how they pollinate. Ah. So, you know, there's when you unwrap a, a, a husk of a corn ear from its husk and there's all those silky bits that kind of hang off it. So that's the female element of ah. corn. And basically what happens is on male, male, the male part of corn is from the tassel. So if you look at like a corn stalk, there's like a weird hairy tassel-y bit that sticks out the top like a bit like Sideshow Bob-esque. <laughs> and that's the male bits. And basically they produce the pollen. So the pollen, you know, comes out of the tassels and floats across the cornfield and it's picked up by the silks. And that's them mating. That's so <laughs> And weird. then a tiny little kernel is like 
formed, like an air corn embryo. And that's the corn baby. That's the corn baby. But the thing is on that, that's how corn's pollinated. But corn actually isn't self-seeding. So despite the fact that it has sex, it still needs to be planted by hand because of its husk, because the husk kind of protects it. Mm. So if a corn stalk was to like fall over in the field, it would just go rotten and it wouldn't do anything. So what happens is like man needs to like unwrap the husk and take out the kernels and replant them for it to actually grow again. Wow. Because, I mean, it, it's one of the oldest uh, like domesticated plants, right? It's been It's been kind of farmed for that long. Is it so far from its kind of natural state that it's like this almost frankenstein thing now? Well, yeah, it's actually quite amazing to think about how corn was originally cultivated because it was kind of, uh, it's been in a, you know, a native Indian-American staple for, 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 you know, tens of thousands of years. And um, it was, the, the theory that's most sound is that it was descendant from a Mexican wild grass called Teosinte because corn is essentially, it's a big wild grass with a huge seed. And it's like, you know, even for a giant grass, its, it's seed is abnormally big. Um, but basically, Teosinte is a Mexican wild grass that's probably... Not that I've seen it, but based on like photos, it looks to be about the size of like a finger kind of thing. So it's 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 not tiny for a grass, but like it's not, you know, corn size. And it was made up of about five to twelve kernels that were encased in like a rock hard, like a stony kind of grey outing. And modern day corn is wrapped up in a husk and that's what it's protected by, but these were like rock hard. So that is where corn apparently was descended from and it was it got to its current form because it was cultivated by the Native American Indians, but how they actually managed to turn that into modern day corn, which is, you know, has between five to 800 kernels on one ear when that was five to 12 kernels on one ear is quite amazing. Yeah. And there's there's lots of different kinds of corn, isn't there? I know we were talking earlier about the flint corn and sweet corn and, and but po- like popcorn is, is a variety of corn, isn't it? It's like yeah. a whole different... Pop, popcorn's a variety of corn. So there's popcorn, sweet corn, dent corn, flint corn, and flower corn. And flower corn's not really grown too much outside of Central and South America, mm-hmm. um, but it, it grinds up really, really easily. So when, you know, they use it in a lot of flowers and things like that over there. So that's kind of why it's so popular. Um, the corn, the only corn that can be eaten kind of fresh from the cob, so the corn you'll see in the market is sweet corn. Um, and, you know, purists will always tell you that Sweet corn is at its best when it's literally like plucked fresh. You should you should have the, you should have water boiling before you pick the corn. Like you should put your pot on, have it boiling, run outside, grab an ear, come back in, <laughs> throw it in the pot, and that's when it's at its best. Because once you like pick it off its stalk, the sweetness and it starts to turn to starch, and it becomes uh, quite you know starchy, so a bit flowery and a bit you know yeah. it's not as sweet and not as not as nice and flavoursome. Um, obviously, we can't all grow corn in our backyards. Um, although when I was born, my parents actually had corn growing in our backyard in Kew, Whoa. <laughs> wow. which I only found out the other day. Um, and you dad... were meant to write this 2000 <laughs> I know. This is my calling. <laughs> what did your dad say? Uh, yeah, he used to go and um, yeah pick corn directly from the, the garden and, and and you know put it on the put it in a pot or put it you know cook it on the oven or cook it in the oven or on the stove pot or whatever. But uh, yeah, he said there was nothing like it. Like. It's like everything, I guess. You get used to eating corn in a market and you don't really ever know, but apparently fresh is the way to do it. Yeah, so like wrapped in uh, glad wrap 
in a, on a polystyrene tray already <laughs> cut up is not the right way to do it? Is that uh, what you're look, saying? You know, it's individual okay. taste. If, okay. that's your, if that's your jam. Yeah, cool. Um, cool, cool. But Em, I heard you say before that you weren't sure about, you know, other types of corn that could pop. So yeah. I just sort of interject and say popcorn is the one that can pop, but flint corn really? can. And the reason why they're the only two varieties that can pop really is because their uh, hull is really, really hard. So when the reason why popcorn pops is because... Um, when it heats, the steam in there becomes so hard that it just kind of bursts out of its shell. And because they've got such a hard hull, that's you know they can do that. Um, but reportedly, teosinte could be popped, the kernels of teosinte. So, wow, that's a little fact for you. Mm. Got to issue a retraction for round one. <laughs> I just assumed no, no, no. That Flint's okay. Corn popped. But but Flint, you were right with Flint. Oh, okay, but you cool. know, but the others don't. Yeah. Flour corn's way too soft. It just kind of would, yeah, you okay, know, cool. dissolve in on itself. So that you know, Coles corn that I left in the bottom of my fridge for six months, <laughs> that's not going to pop, right? It's probably not going to pop. Okay. Good you to know. Try. Good to know. <laughs> Good um, experiment. You might then. set your house on fire, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and I, I also wanted to check about uh, the hallucinogenic properties of corn. Can you can you fill us in a little bit on, on um, getting uh, ripped from corn? <laughs> well, I haven't been ripped off corn myself but <laughs> I did interview uh Paul Wilson from uh he used to be ex-mum pub group and you know he's most recently been from Lady Carolina in Brunswick and uh he's very you know heavy on their Mexican Latin American kind of cooking yeah he loves corn obsessed with corn uh he told me that he was in Mexico City and he had a drink of what he thought was just you know corn juice because in Latin America they have corn in literally everything um and next thing he knew he was like literally just smashed wandering around Mexico City. And he says that, you know, the vegetable-based fermentations are much more hallucinogenic than, you know, like if you distilled alcohol from sugarcane or from uh, oats or whatever, wheat, you know, whatever, however you make alcohol potatoes. It's a little little bit different to the one that comes from this real, like, proper vegetable fermentation. And he just said he was just, like, tripping off his face, like, wandering around Mexico City, just, like, you know... In another place. Like corn liquor is a thing too, right? Like bur- bourbon can, can be made from corn as well, can't it? Yeah, everything can be made from corn. <laughs> Seriously, like in North America, there's literally nothing that is not touched by corn. The, I think pretty much the only thing in North America that is not touched by corn is fresh fish. Frozen fish has been because it, it's a bit of a preservative. So they use like a cornstarch and they coat everything oh, wow. in cornstarch because it, it stops it drying out too much. So frozen produce... Um, and then you look at fresh produce. So the only reason fresh fish isn't is because it lives in the sea. But chicken, cattle, pigs, everything is fed on a corn-based diet. Yeah. So, you know, they're full of corn. And But even like cardboard, paper, uh, it's used in chewing gum, in uh, hairspray, in Panadol or their version of headache tablets. It's – North America runs on corn and I reckon they probably eat – like, you know, consume it in like a, an active sense – a very small percentage of what they actually consume, but everything else is consumed, you know, kind of secondary As in, in like various products. A byproduct and of all the different. Yeah, it's different. it's crazy. Uh, Anna Webster, genuine corn expert. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Ingredipedia no and, and, and bringing real actual facts. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So Doritos are a good snack? Yeah, undeniable. Gummy bears are a good snack? Uh, yeah, they're fun. Um, how about together? Because they're a real life snack called Dorilocos. Is that all it is? Like just um, Doritos and gummy bears? No, it's a whole lot more, but they're the two main ingredients. Okay. So Dorilocos are a Mexican street food snack. 
um, that no one really knows the true origin of, but what they are is a pack of Cheese Supreme Doritos. Mm. And the genius thing is you don't cut down the edge where the opening of the Doritos packet is. You cut down the side. So you hold it sideways and then cut open the side. Yeah. So the Doritos packet turns into a bowl, if you will. Brilliant. And then on top of the Doritos, you put pickled pork rinds. Delicious. Small battens of Mexican turnip. Yeah. Cubed cucumber. Grated carrots, peanuts with a soy sauce flavored shell. Yeah, I love those things. Gummy bears. Yeah. Lime juice, chili powder, <laughs> hot sauce, and a sweet, salty, sour sauce made from pickled fruit. So it's a whole lot of things going on. It's pretty much like nachos without the cheese taken to like an extreme, extreme level. There's so much salty, sweet, yeah, pickle, sour, like all of the flavors. Mm. And Hot. Is this where you reach into your backpack and go, and I made you some? No, I didn't make Damn it. Damn it. You didn't have um, any pickled pork rinds on hand. No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to slaughter the, didn't want to be disrespectful to Mexican snack gods. Okay. So the thing that I love about it is that it takes two snack foods which are perfectly amazing as snacks in themselves, like Doritos and gummy bears, mm-hmm. and then combines them together pretty much unnecessarily. I'm assuming it's amazing, but who, like, it's an amazing thought to think who would have actually thought of this first. So are, are these, I mean, are, are Americans going to appropriate Dorilocos now? Are they going to be in every corner store? I mean, are they at the moment? Um, they're kind of just pretty, I don't they're think, a local store. Yeah, they're like they? a street stall. Yeah, right. That's, I don't. I don't know if you could ever make this on like a grand scale. But my question is, am I going to go down, say, Gertrude Street or some other kind of, you know, progressive urban street in a in a Western city and I'll go to a street corner sometime in about five years when taco trucks are just passe and there'll be a Dory Locos van? Yeah, there. well, basically the only thing that's holding me back is I don't have a Mexican turnip. <laughs> Otherwise, I All would right. have made them. Let's add it to the list. Get her a potato masher, <laughs> uh, a rice cooker, a Mexican turnip. Help the girl out. Mm, that'd be really good. I was going to make an entree version, which was just a gummy bear on top of a Dorito. But I thought that was really, really poor. Still would have eaten it. Okay. Well, you've just described the, the god of all snacks. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about um, the mythology around corn. Because as Anna mentioned earlier, it's been it's been cultivated for eons in uh, South and Central and North America. Um, so there's, a, unsurprisingly, I guess, a lot of mythology around corn and where it came from uh, in, in Native American and uh, South American cultures. So I want to talk about a couple of them. One, the first one is called Corn Mother. Uh, according to the Penobscot Indians, the Corn Mother was also the first mother of the people. That's how important corn is. Um, so their creation myth says that after people get, began to uh, fill the earth, they became so good at hunting that they killed most of the animals. The first mother of all the people cried because she had nothing to feed her children. And when her husband asked her what he could do, she told him to kill her and have her sons drag her body by its silky hair, as we know now is the f- feminine, the kind of female parts of the corn, uh, uh, by its silky hair, until her flesh was scraped from her bones. After burying her bones, they should return in seven months when there would be food for the people. When the sons returned, they found corn plants with tassels like silken hair and their mother's flesh had become the tender fruit of the corn. So there's a kind of origin stories of corn and also the people. Uh, There's also the corn mother goddess 
uh, Iyatiku, who appears in the Legends of the Kerasen people, a, a Pueblo group of uh, in the American Southwest. Uh, they've got a kind of similar story there where um, to provide food for them, she plants bits of her heart in fields to the northwest, south and east, and later the pieces of Iyatiku's heart grow into fields of corn. Then you've got uh, a number of Indian myths that deal with the origin of corn and how it came to be grown by humans. Uh, many of the tales centre on a corn mother or a, a, another female figure who introduces corn to the people. In one myth, told by the Creeks and other tribes of southeastern United States, the corn woman is an old woman living with a family that does not know who she is. Every day she feeds the family corn dishes, but the members of the family cannot figure out where she gets the food. One day, wanting to discover where the old woman gets the corn, the sons spy on her. And depending on uh, the version of the story, the corn is either scabs or sores that she rubs off her body um, and, uh, or, or their washings from her feet, nail clippings or even her feces. In all versions, the origin of the corn is disgusting, and once the family members know its origin, they refuse to eat it. And then the corn woman solves the problem in one of several ways. In one version, she tells the sons to clear a large piece of ground, kill her, and drag her body around the clearing seven times. Uh, However, the sons clear only seven small spaces, cut off her head, and drag it around the seven spots. And wherever her blood fell, corn grew. According to the story, this is why corn only grows in some places and not all over the world. Uh, this is all from Myth Encyclopedia, uh, and I think it really goes a long way to describe why we find corn so delicious. So I know I've mentioned some of the Disneyland snacks a lot on this podcast, but I don't think I've done a deep dive into the sheer dedication to popcorn at Disneyland in Japan. So in Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, there's about 15 different flavoured popcorn stands throughout the park, mm. which for me was like a bigger highlight than the rides. Like just the idea that there are like eight different types of popcorn within the one area and I can go and collect them all. Can we just back up a bit? We've already, when I say we, you've already talked about the like Flintstones yeah, the turkey leg. turkey leg that you ate there. So this is on the same day you ate 15 I didn't, cups of I didn't corn? actually eat the turkey leg because I didn't know it was a thing before I went there. Wow, okay. But I I ate lots of other things. I can go into that in various other episodes. Sure, sure. But um, so there are heaps of different popcorn flavors. And when I went there, there was creamy melon soda popcorn, curry popcorn, strawberry popcorn, milk tea popcorn, black pepper popcorn, and corn patage popcorn, which is corn soup in Japan. (laughs) Right. That's great. So that's like corn flavored popcorn. Yeah, but... Um, I guess it, it was things. a bit different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so usually I'm not a huge fan of sweet popcorn. Like you mentioned the colored popcorn before. And yeah. I, I think that there's nothing more disgusting than that colored popcorn. Not only is it way too sweet, not only is it also stale, mm. the only happy memory I have of it is threading a needle and thread through it for, um, Christmas decorations yeah. at school. Yeah. Or, um, to make the, uh, the smoke plume from the oh. Women's Weekly cake the train. book, train, yeah. train uh, cake, which mm. I've made before. Um, anyway, the flavours at Disneyland are nothing like the coloured popcorn. The creamy melon soda was really sweet and it was actually really nice. Like It was also bubbly, but the strawberry one was a bit too sweet, but not in a bad way. Like it smelt really good and the curry flavour was awesome. Mm. It's just like the best time 
collecting all the different popcorns all around the park. They also have special flavors of popcorn for holiday events, like they have white chocolate at Christmas time, and um, there are flavors like apple cinnamon that's known to randomly appear, and jalapeno cheddar is also a rare one that makes an appearance from time to time. Would eat. Yeah. So highly recommended the trip to Tokyo Disneyland or Tokyo Disney Sea just, just for the popcorn. Just for that. Okay, we're booking our flights. <laughs> okay, we've established that corn is useful, right? It feeds livestock. It's a sweetener. Collected make, all around Disneyland. Makes booze, Disneyland, whatever, whatever. Um, did you know that it also powers 3D printers? No, I didn't. Well, let me tell you about a plastic called PLA. Now, we know that conventional plastic packaging uses oil, right? So that, that's kind of what plastic's made of. It's a, it's a byproduct of, the, of, of oil. It uses an estimated 200,000 barrels of oil a day in the United States. This is according to an article in Smithsonian Mag. So, yeah, 200,000 barrels of oil a day are used in plastic production, and it takes up 25% of U.S. landfill by volume. So plastic is a problem. So... Enter PLA, which is a type of organic plastic made from... It's kind of a bioplastic, and it's made from corn. So uh, how they do it, corn kernels are milled. Uh, Dextrose is attracted from the the corn starch that comes from that milling process. Dextrose is turned into lactic acid, and then the lactide molecules are turned into polymers, or kind of long strands, and then we have PLA. So corn plastic's been around for 20 years, but was initially too expensive for broad commercial applications until 1989 when Patrick Gruber the, uh, looked was looking for new ways to use corn, invented a way to make the polymer more efficiently. Working with his wife, also a chemist, he created his first prototype PLA products on his kitchen stove. Uh, and then it, it's become cheaper and cheaper and easier to use since then. Um, in the early and sort of mid-noughts, Walmart started making their bags, their plastic bags out of it. It's also used um, now as a feedstock material in desktop-fused filament fabrication-based 3D printers. Uh, And it could be used as decomposable packaging material, either cast, injected, molded, or spun. Cups and bags have been made from it. Uh, It's useful in producing loose-filled packaging, so the stuff that stops things from being broken in in, uh, shipping. Uh, compost bags, food packaging, and disposable tableware in the form of fibres and non-woven textiles. PLA has many potential uses, for example, as upholstery, disposable garments, awnings, feminine hygiene products, and diapers or nappies, as we would say here. So corn, through this process of being turned into a lactic acid and then into a plastic from that, is now the kind of stuff that is injected in 3D printed printers and 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 formed into amazing things so it's delicious with butter and it also powers the 3d printers of Tomorrowland. crazy i think we just need to celebrate corn Mm. all i want to do is 3d print a mini corn with corn I talked about glass gem corn. And I talked about high fructose corn syrup. Then I talked about Dorilocos. I talked about corn mythology. And then finally I talked about popcorn in Disneyland. And I finished up with corn plastic. And in in the middle of that we spoke to Anna Webster, who's a 
uh, a writer and, and, and food person and cook and, and a former MasterChef contestant uh, who knew far too much about corn. Mm. That's she not could do her, her own corn-based podcast. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to Me it. Me too. If you give her like a clever punny name for it, like um, children corny. of the corn or hardcore corn. Mm. Done. Okay, great. Looking forward to that podcast happening. Uh, and thank you for listening to this podcast in Greedopedia. You can vote for whichever group of facts you found most enlightening and interesting on Instagram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>